Amen. Well, yeah, thank you, Roger, for your thoughts about Japan and the ministry there and uh, the exciting things that are underway and uh, the grace of God that's being manifested in the churches there. Well, it's good to see you all. It's good to be together uh, once again to uh, listen to my own personal uh, confessions about how I am in recovery. Uh, I am in recovery of many things. Uh, we are learning that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a recovering fundamentalist. Uh, we're learning that I'm a recovering Pharisee. And today you're going to learn that I'm a recovering approval seeker. Uh, that is the, the subject of our, our, our sermon today. It is approval seeking. And I can honestly say that uh, as often as I have taught on this subject, I have to say that it still continues to be something that I must work at uh, just about every day. Uh, today we're going to look, uh, as Zoe read, uh, Galatians 1, uh, an autobiographical section of the Apostle Paul where he is explaining his behavior after he came to Christ, and his behavior after he became to Christ actually refutes a charge that was being given uh, to him uh, by a group called the Judaizers. They were saying he is a people pleaser in his gospel, and Paul saying, uh-uh, no, no, I gave up on people pleasing when I came to Christ, and so he's giving an explanation for that. Really, in the gospel, what happens is that we become less concerned about ourselves, uh, if you ever want to know what the gospel looks like and when it's really firing on all cylinders in your life, it, it mostly looks like power, power to do things that you didn't think you could do, and it also looks like freedom. And so today really is the subject about freedom. I need freedom desperately. Um, uh, just this week, uh, I was at this little illustration place that I call uh, Starbucks Kailua. Um, it gives me all kinds of sermon illustrations. Uh, many of you have you bear up with all my coffee co- coffee shop illustrations. Uh, just be glad I'm no longer golfing because you no longer have golf illustrations. Uh, but um, this just this last this past week, I was sort of collecting myself, sipping some coffee, looking at my to do list. And uh, just kind of get my day started uh, there and uh, have people that I meet regularly with. And uh, we sometimes have little conversations uh, about, that are important conversations about, uh, about the gospel, actually. It's, it's, good, it's good stuff. Um, a little boy walked in <clears throat> with his mother and his sister. He was about four years old. And he was wearing red rubber boots and red flannel pajamas and a big red plastic fireman's hat. And it said, Chief Fire, Chief Fireman. And as he walked in, one of the most beautiful things about him was that he was not aware of himself. He, uh, that was probably what he slept, uh, his outfit, at least his pajamas, and so he got in his rubber boots and followed mom into Starbucks Kailua as a small little fire chief. And as I looked at him, not only was he adorable, I thought about how free he must be, completely unaware of how people perceive him. I thought about how at some point he's going to wake up one day and he will be aware of what he's supposed to wear and he will dress for people, which is a good thing to do, Uh, but he will at some point, uh, for sure when he's a teenager, he will be very much aware of people and people will own him. How he looks will be completely owned by other people. Hopefully he will move out of that phase uh, but maybe it's possible that that phase will own him all his life. Uh, as, a, as a recovering approval seeker, I have to say that phase, I'm still, still recovering. I'm the kid who, uh, in, in high school, uh, went to five different malls in order to find the perfect pair of jeans. And no one made any comments about them. 
five, per, five, five malls. It's a beautiful thing to, be, uh, to, to not be aware of yourself. The self's a heavy burden to carry. Uh, and the truth is, we all love people's attention. Uh, have you ever posted something to Facebook and expected nothing? No. You want something. You imagine that friends and family are eager. In fact, they're just waiting around for you to post something. They're, you're posting something of a family picture, enjoying some aspect of Hawaii, or maybe you're just taking a picture of fish tacos, and you post them on, on Facebook. And of course, everyone's supposed to be excited about your fish tacos. Just this week, I posted a picture on Facebook. I honestly didn't think um, too much of it. I was familiar with the picture. I'd seen it quite a bit. So I posted it, and I got 73 likes. I didn't know 73 people liked me. <laughs> and that is so cool. What a, what a rush of affirmation people are. And there's something in between, between that behavior of posting something and the anticipation of people's response. Somewhere in between there we live. It's an anxious place. How about you? Is there an anxious place in you? Are you on the edge, are you military, on the edge of how your next review is going to go? Growth and grace means people play a different role in our lives. Listen carefully to that. Growth and grace means that people play a different role in our lives. And how can we get to the place where the cry for approval is actually quite satisfied? It's an important cry, and it's a needed cry, but it's a cry that's to be met with the Father's words. What the Father says about us is supposed to actually work for us. People play an important role, but we're not supposed to live for them. Think of whole, whole cultures that can live for people's approval. We think in terms of, of Japan or um, some place, other, another place called Saudi Arabia has actually been to a whole culture where, where, where I don't think Americans are excluded from that as well. And that we live for the Father's words and we live based upon them and, of course, the, the actions of Jesus. These things define us. People play a role, but it's not that important of a role. And just by way of an outline, just quickly, we're really going to look at the approval-seeking and how, how speedy we are, how fast it works, because we want to find security. In Galatians 1.6, Paul says, I'm astonished how quickly, how quickly, how quickly... You have moved from the true gospel. And then secondly, we're going to look at sort of the, the backing that approval-seeking has from, from well-loved traditions. Well-loved traditions. And then thirdly, we'll look at how the gospel targets this cry for, uh, of the heart. Notice in verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished. <clears throat> I'm astonished how quickly you've deserted, deserted the true gospel. Uh, and the Judaizers are a group of people who have come along with this gospel. Here it is, small g gospel, small g, false gospel. And the, the Judaizers were a group of people. You could probably consider the apostle Paul, who we know him as Saul of Tarsus, probably consider him to be a, a former Judaizer. He, he thinks in terms of being committed to Judaism. Uh, the Judaizers came along and said, look, Jesus is good, Jesus is important, but this is important as well. And if you add this aspect of the law, you add law-keeping, you will really be accepted by the Father. So it was a, a, a heresy, uh, adding something to the gospel, to sheer grace, justifying grace, is a heresy. Now, it's hard um, 
to tell people to keep uh, the law. Uh, it's not a very popular message, so the Judaizers say. Uh, they're essentially saying that Paul has compromised the true gospel. Uh, he's come up with this grace gospel thing. Uh, that's, that's, it's easy to understand how Paul has slipped because, uh, you know, it's hard to tell people to be circumcised. And uh, you can see where Paul has lost, uh, lost it. And so uh, their accusation was that Paul had become a people pleaser. Isn't it interesting? Well, Paul does a judo move on them. And he takes uh, all their accusations and says, okay, here's how it looks. No doubt, as a Judaizer, yeah, we're all committed to people-pleasing. That's what I did. I was a zealot. I was a crazy man. I've got more credentials than you. I persecuted the church. Christians were killed because of me. I was a people-pleaser. So he demonstrates that how in coming to Christ, he has made a full recovery from people-pleasing, from his former manner of life. But the cry for approval is, is moving quickly within us as it seeks security. I am still recovering as a people-pleasing person. This tendency of the heart is, is, is not coming to the surface so clearly in our lives. You may not think of yourself, oh, wait a minute, I'm not a, I'm not a zealot in my people-pleasing. I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. But it may be hard for us to actually see at a personal level, how this is actually working. It's a hard process, and it takes a lot of honesty. It takes a lot of honesty to actually bring before you, before God, the reasons why we are doing the things that we do. And uh, often our daydreams tell us a lot about where we actually live. You may be very polite on the outside, you may be very courteous on the outside, but where you actually live is... It may, in fact, be much more uh, closely aligned to people pleasing and people people's approval than you're willing to admit. I um, I have always uh, been curious as to how movies are made, and some of you know I've talked to you about uh, that. I actually on on the side once in a while will read about screenplays, and it's always been a desire of mine to write a screenplay. And I've actually started one. It sounds very impressive, but I've also stopped one. So. <laughs> lest you get too far ahead on thinking I've made, made, written one. But in my mind, I have Robert De Niro. Uh, even as old as he is, I, I got a use for him in my screenplay. And on a YouTube video, as I watch someone uh, describe, a successful screenwriter describe what, it, what it's really all about, he was being interviewed, and he said, the question was given to him, well, what does it take to be a successful screenwriter? And I'm leaning in, listening. And he says, well, first of all, get the idea of success out of your mind. He said, you don't ever write, you don't ever write a screenplay because you want to make a movie. You write a screenplay because you have to. Whether anyone reads it or not, you just have to have this story written. And that just ruined my thoughts. <laughs> it just ruined it for me. Because, you know, when I daydream about screen, screenwriting... I was telling Amaris about this. When I daydream about, daydream about screenwriting, and, uh, well, it becomes a play, and I see myself actually handing the script to Robert De Niro and saying, you know, you think of all the movies you've been in, what do you get a hold of mine? And uh, I see him actually uh, saying yes, and I see the movie becoming an incredible success. And it doesn't stop there, because I see myself walking on stage with Robert De Niro and uh, 
And I see myself getting an Academy Award. You see, my screenplay cannot be just a humble screenplay. It has to be adored. My story is actually a way of looking really, really good. And I haven't even finished it yet. How about that? You see, deep within us, there is a lot of insecurity. And the Father's love sort of skips along the surface of our heart. Christians who have not spent a long time dwelling on their sonship and their adoption and about how the Father says, you are my beloved, you are my beloved, you are my beloved, if we don't dwell on this, we will become anxious Christians. People still loom very large on the windshield of our life. Ask for help. If you're in a small group, confess it. Put it out there. I live for this. I want this. It's like a drug. It's real. It's palpable. I feel it. Paul had done reflective work, and he took his sweet time to hang around Christians. He had an impressive conversion story. But he didn't care to go to the church and tell people all about how special he was. He took his own sweet time. He wasn't even known to the churches in the area where he lived, in Judea. He traveled about, spent a long time, took years and years and years to finally get up and going. He searched his heart and he searched scripture and he laid his life before his heavenly father and the belovedness of the status of a son overwhelmed him and he was cured of his people pleasing. And that seems to be a very important thing for Christian leadership in a very particular, particularly important way. Do not move in to Christian leadership until this is significantly solved. Brennan Manning, in a book called Abba Father, he says this about me. I think he says this about you. People have extended themselves in people, projects, and causes, motivated not by personal commitment, but by the fear of not living up to other people's expectations. What is over, where are you overextended right now? Where are you too invested in something? Where the likes are too important? Where is that happening in your life? You see, good, a good detection advice, a good detection uh, device is criticism. How are you responding to criticism? Does it sting too much? Is it revealing something that you have, you've trusted in too much? See, I'm deathly afraid to submit my screenplay to anyone. I like to live in my daydream. It's too important to me. But you see, when something is too important, then we have to counterbalance it with something that's really, really, really important, and that is the cross. And the cross has to loom large on your horizon. If it doesn't, then something else will. You will turn to another functional savior. And how, um, how easy it is that people play that role. Oh, really, in, in, in a sense, it's, it's sort of easy to add a law, Jesus plus a law, right? Jesus plus this. That's kind of, that's kind of easy, actually. Um, Jesus plus how I adhere to this regulation. Jesus plus how I look. Jesus plus how people think of me. Uh, that's pretty easy. It's, it's hard to go against the flow, to not have people's approval, and to believe just in Jesus alone what Jesus says about you. That's harder. 
For some of us, it's pursuing perfection. Perfection functions like an armor-plated shield. I want to be seen a certain way, admired, but not known. It's really kind of a righteousness seeking. It's hard. It is, we don't want to go here because through people we are affirmed in very pleasant, powerful ways. But we have to hammer away at that kind of life because it really is an illusion. Some of us actually realize what an illusion it is, but we've actually withdrawn from, from people. We've seen so much in our life, we've, we tried to buy into people's approval, and now we're just kind of cynics and we withdraw. So we've, we didn't want to, on that side of the pier, it's just as deep, right? So we just fell over on another side and have just gone into another form of self-protection. Uh, one time when I was in college... Uh, I worked with a small group of students, and we worked the USC football games in Southern California. Uh, And at the Coliseum, which is this huge, massive, 120-seat stadium, uh, we would be allowed to see the fourth quarter because we were vendors there. And the fourth quarter, we pretty much shut up our shops and the hot dog stands, and we got to see the fourth quarter. Well, at the end of the fourth quarter, I'm standing there seeing some football game, and we're about to carpool out. But the, the stadium has cleared out. Really, no one else is around. And I'm standing, and I turn around, and at the top of the the stadium is something that every college, uh, at least I think guys, uh, college guys would love to have in their dorm room. Before ESPN, there was this one way to watch sports around the world, and it was called ABC Wide World of Sports, right. And there was this five-by-five-foot banner and ABC Wide World of Sports had been covering that game. And inside me was this strong desire to have the approval of everyone in my dorm area. I was going to steal that banner. No one's around. And don't look so pious at me. How cool would that banner be? I would be like the coolest guy in college to have the ABC Wide World of Sports banner in my dorm room. And I thought for a moment, I thought about getting arrested. No, uh, I thought about God's love for me. And in that moment of temptation, I thought about it was enough In that moment, I thought it was enough. What God had done for me, I could turn from that that way of living just for a moment. And and the, the applause of the dorm room guys, the esteem of the dorms faded in that moment. What What needs to happen when we quickly are moving, we have to quickly at the same time move in our mind to the promises of God. Start questioning yourself when you feel the need to please people. Ask yourself harder questions about the love of God for you. And then secondly, just the cry for approval is expressed in well-loved human traditions. Well, Saul of Tarsus, uh, the one who becomes Paul the Apostle, is a fire-breathing dragon of a zealot. 
And he's a, he is just a dangerous man. He confesses it. He is an arguer, a fighter, a disputer. He is a disdainer. He is even okay with killing people. That is how caught up he was in the traditions of his fathers, as he says in verse 14. My former life in Judaism, I was a zealot. I was, I was advancing in my zealotry beyond those of my own age, verse 14. I was distinguishing myself in my, in my way of living as a zealot. Where are you living for human traditions? This may be hard for us to, to identify with or to at least acknowledge. You may not think of yourself as a, as a traditional person. Um, traditional traditions might look like this for us. Uh, I had a conversation with a local pastor who was giving us some, me and some, some insights into just what it means to have grown up here on Oahu and to be a local person. And he was saying to me that, look, uh, people who grow up here don't really want to have a lot of money. They don't want to, be, uh, to do anything more than just to be seen as living the life on Oahu. And he went on to describe that your kids are in the right schools and on the weekends you're able to barbecue and you're able to just enjoy this life. You're living the good life. And that is a tradition of success here on the island. Now, if you're not from the islands here, you don't, you don't have anything, uh, you're not that much different than, than, than islanders, locals. Your, your tradition might be in a particular way of understanding success. And you're living to be seen by people in a certain way. You see, for the Apostle Paul, it looked like religious zealotry. And the, and the traditions that he lived in were religious zealotry traditions. And he just out, outdid everybody. For what purpose? for their esteem. What defines for you a traditional way of success? And are you turning away from that? And are you indifferent to that? Finding the Father's approval, finding the grace of the gospel, finding the cross to be, oh, what a, what a far greater way to live than to live for just cultural definitions of success. I, it was my privilege in, in college. I went to Biola College in Southern California. Um, I worked with uh, student government, and I helped with chapels. And for whatever reason, I was uh, Elizabeth Elliot, the famous Christian author and uh, the wife of uh, Jim Elliot, who was martyred in, uh, in South America in 1957, I believe it was. Um, he, uh, she was uh, speaking at Biola, and I was assigned to be her um, host and to make sure she got to the classes that she was going to be speaking at and she spoke in chapel and I think it was one day it might have been two days but uh, Elizabeth Elliot um, is one cool lady and uh, the impression I got from her as I was with her for that day well, she didn't need the esteem of these college kids at all. She didn't need to be approved by us. She didn't need our applause. She didn't need our laughter. 
And uh, I, I got this feel from her uh, soon into my time with her. And I remember introducing, uh, walking with her into chapel, and I turned to her and I said, How are you feeling today? Are you okay? And she said, oh, I'm fine. How are you? I mean, she just had this quality about her, like, look, if you've ever been in South America, and if you've ever been through what I've been through, hanging around a bunch of college kids is a piece of cake. <laughs> and in one class, it was very interesting, I'm in the back, and uh, she's fielding questions, and one student raises her hand, and I want to just drop out of view, and I, here it was. What advice would you give me if I want to become a, a conference speaker? <laughs> and Elizabeth Elliot looked at this young co-ed and said, look, the most important thing for you to do is do something important with your life. And if you become a conference speaker, that's God's business. But don't ever seek to become a conference speaker. You see, in evangelicalisms, evangelical circles, there's a way of thinking about success. There's a way of, there's a traditional way of, uh, of sort of looking, looking good of becoming popular, of becoming seen, of having the spotlight on you. It's, it's really just a, a kind of a copycat version of, of, of something you might see in an American Idol. Some more subtle traditions in our, show up in our relationships, well-loved traditions, not religious zealotry like Saul of Tarsus. Uh, uh, but what about subtle traditions in our relationships uh, traditional ways of being, for instance, gossip uh, about other people, and, and, and it's a way of, of looking good. It's kind of a traditional way of talking among, you, among your friends, maybe. Or, or making it clear, maybe with non, non-Christians, that uh, they're, they're not really sure if you attend church and you're okay with that. You, you want to look good before them. It's kind of a traditional way for you to live. Or, or, or certain people are just not loved um, they're just not loved. It's sort of a traditional way. Of, of you, can, you sort of keep, keep your, the walls of your life. You don't engage. Or, or perhaps even a traditional way of, of becoming bitter when you're, when you're hurt. So, it, would you ever say that's your religion? Well, would you ever say you're a zealot about that? Well, notice how much energy you put into that. And you surround yourself with people who, who agree with you. You see, it all seems reasonable but it is all stemming from, from fear. It's interesting that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul actually does drive home holiness. But he says it's not going to happen through law-keeping. It's going to be faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Keeping that law or not keeping that law, the only thing that matters, the only thing that will actually make you a, an obedient Christian is faith working through, through love. So the cry for approval actually sort of 
lives within these well-loved traditions. So much could be said there. Let me, let me wrap this up in our third point, and that is the cry for approval is really the target of deep grace. When I say deep grace, I'm, just, I'm not saying anything new about grace. I'm just trying to sh- shake you a little bit on a different way of thinking about it. It's just, it's just uh, amazing grace, it, it, nothing super special amazing grace, but just deep grace. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is huge in our eyes, and that's the key for what happened to the Apostle Paul. Jesus became big in his eyes, and people became small. Look at verse 15. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me. There is the people-pleasing breaker. That the, the view of Jesus, his understanding of Jesus was big, and he lived his life from, from that. No longer living for the traditions of his fathers, for the approval of other people. Now, what he does here is he goes on and explains, and you can read this further this afternoon or tonight, he goes on to further explain how he wasn't even interested in getting the apostles' attention. Hey, look at me. I'm, I was the crazy zealot. And now, can I tell you about what happened to me on the road to Damascus at in other words, even his amazing story of how special he was is of no importance to him. He takes his own sweet time to hang around with the Apostle Peter. Can you imagine how important it would be to have the Apostle Peter's approval of your life? He's a big gun. He's a mover and shaker in the early Christian church. Are you kidding me? I would have gone scampering over to Peter like a lapdog. Hey, 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 aren't I special? Peter, Peter, lay your hands on me. Peter, touch me. Peter, affirm, affirm for me how special I am. The Apostle Paul is indifferent to even the apostles. He takes his own sweet time. He doesn't even go and hang around Jerusalem where he knows he's going to find many of the apostles. Not a concern of his. And what's his argument here? My life demonstrates I'm not a people pleaser. My life demonstrates that I haven't gone to someone else and, and then adjusted the gospel because they trained me or taught me about it. Paul tells the Galatians a couple different times in Galatians 1, my gospel is not from man. That is deep grace. Deep grace. Deep grace, I would argue, is this. In this passage, here's what I think is happening. It's the approval of God right when you are exposed as a sinner. Right when you are posing. Right when people would normally think of you as a great zealot and would affirm you the deep grace of the gospel comes right at that moment and says, uh-uh. And heaven's view of you is known to you. And you know you have been posing and pretending. And right at that moment, while you're exposed and feeling vulnerable, the Father says, oh, I have room in my heart for you. 
You're not a disappointment to me. You're just a rather normal sinner. And what's interesting is that this love of God now changes a person's view of people. People are not to be used but to be served. The, play, the role that they play changes for good. The cry for approval is really springing up from fear. The cry of my daydreams is a fear that I, I will not be affirmed enough from people. And is it too much for us to describe the cry for approval in terms of addiction? From the book by the author Gerald May, the, the title of the book is called Addiction and Grace, Love and Spirituality in the Healing of Addiction. Listen to Gerald May. Listen to this, and I'll close here. You can tell your addictions not by their drawing power upon you, but by the fear you experience at the thought of losing them. But most important, fear blocks our love. Why do we not love more? Because of fear. We fear what we love, what we love will ask of us. We fear the pain that comes along with love. We fear opening ourselves and becoming vulnerable. It is a fear that makes the two great commandments, loving God, your neighbor, seems so far from the realm of possibility. It is fear, not addiction, that is the great enemy of love. What does 1 John 4.18 say? What did the Apostle Paul experience on the road to Damascus that turned his heart from people-pleasing? What, what transition happened? There is no fear, John tells us in 1 John, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Our process together, one sermon will not do it. Uh, Our process together is is the process of being perfected in love. Our life together is a process of being perfected in love. And as that happens, uh, you will... Grow to see how your, your fears are diminished. May we be so convinced as a church that day in and day out, Sunday after Sunday, our life together, we will express that we are beloved of the Father. People's opinions will come and go. But you will really become a lover of people Because who they are doesn't threaten your core. You stand on your own two feet before God. Who you are, who you are before the Father, cannot be changed by what people think or say. And in the words of uh, Counselor Ed Welsh, we will love them more and need them less. Another way to put it is in Psalm 27. The Lord is the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's pray.